Hi, I'm Ewan Blakey, Senior Pastor of Oasis Church. I hope this message gives you hope and helps you take your next step on your Christian journey. We'd love to invite you to come and see us in person at 10 a.m. on Sundays or join us live every Sunday on YouTube. For more info, visit our website, oasischurchperth.com. Good morning. Well, if you've ever shaken my hand, you'll often notice stuff's missing. True story. For those that are laughing, they're like, yeah, that's true. Um, if you've never noticed, I've got a small hand. Basically, you've got three joints in your finger. I've only got two. That you can go, oh. It's all right, I'm over it. Um, now, I have a twin brother, um, and he's got normal hands. So he's fine. I also have the same issue with my feet. Well, my left foot, my right foot is normal. So when I was about 21, 22, saw a genetic specialist and he said, well, we're not too sure if it's dominant or suppressive. We're really not going to know until you're about three or four generations down. Yeah, so kind of getting married, the whole, what's this going to mean for our kids? Is it going to get worse? All that kind of stuff. And so we just rolled the dice and had lots of kids and (laughs) none of them have it. But we also got to test because my brother being genetically the same, um, so basically we got seven kids and none of them have any missing joints or um, I, my hands were also webbed when I was born, lots of operations. But the issue is we've got several generations to go and it seems to have either it's suppressive or it's skipped a generation. We're not sure. But we do know though is that um, I have a younger brother who's very tall. Carolyn has a brother who's very tall. And, and that gene seems to have skipped us. <laughs> but our kids are very tall. <laughs> That's genetics plays that part. And we know that ancestors before us influence our genetics. It's also true emotionally. In 1966, they did a study, an international study, and what they found was Holocaust survivors, that their grandchildren were way overrepresented in terms of psychological ill health, 300% over the norm. And they began to look at that and ask the question, what was contributing to these children having these huge psychological problems. And what they found was it was coming from the Holocaust survivors. And then they began to extend that study and what they found was forms of trauma, whether it's genocide or violence or even domestic violence, that this would actually go from generation to generation. And so therefore some of the grandchildren would have the same impact and the same responses to trauma that their grandparents had gone through. And when we consider that, and, and you know, the question for that is, is it just passing on habits? But they've done some studies on that. Now the jury's out at the moment, but there's some studies to suggest that these traumatic events are actually impacting at a DNA level, and that's what's being passed down. So when we look at physical characteristics, when we look at emotional characteristics, we see generational impact. And the same is true with spirituality. What happens to our ancestors, to them spiritually, has a generational impact. 
in Exodus, when Moses is being handed the, the Ten Commandments, it says this in Exodus 20, verse 5, talking about idolatry. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. Idolatry, by the way, big problem in society. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So two things here. One, this sermon specifically is focusing on generational sin. Before I go on to that, we also want to highlight in this passage that God shows steadfast love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. While it's important for us to look at the impact of our ancestral sin, we don't want to do that to the exclusion of seeing all the blessing that flows down our line as well. Okay, now we can't preach everything every Sunday and sometimes we focus on one thing, but there's another side of the coin. This is one of those other sides of the coin. That there's also a lot from our ancestors that we want to say, praise God that that exists. Praise God for what they did. And to know that the impact that we're having on our children and our great-grandchildren, that blessing that we pass on will last far longer than the mistakes that you make. So we do want to balance that. With that said, though, this sermon specifically is focusing on generational sin and how we can work through that and be free from that. What generational sin basically says is this, that baggage that we have in our life, not all of it, not all of it is our fault. Not all of it was packed by us. That a lot of the stuff, the baggage that we carry came before us. It's in our bag. It's our baggage. We didn't ask for it. We didn't want it. But it's there and we got to deal with it. And it's our responsibility to begin to work with it. Generational sin is that part of our life where we have shadows. And lurking in those shadows that's just outside of our sight is this influence. It's an influence that we're not aware of because it just kind of lurks in the background. But it has that influence upon us. And that goes to the third and fourth generation. It's the accumulation of the sins of our ancestors that impact us. And it could be habits, it could be behaviours, it could be attitudes. If we look at behaviours and habits, you know, things like our work ethic, what we see our parents do, we often can do the same thing. But we also have attitudes on racism or sexuality or what the meaning of success is. We carry these messages and it's subliminal. We're not even aware of them. We have curses that we carry. In my family growing up, my dad had a shocking back. I just thought that was, that was part of the family, that this is something that is hereditary. So I kind of growing up and every time I'd have a sore back, I'd be like, oh, 
you know, that's part of, you know, my dad's got a bad back, I got a bad back. I'm taking on that message and cursing myself because I think, well, this is part of what it's to be his son. Reality, my dad was in a series of accidents, completely messed his back up, nothing to do with genetics. But I was speaking that over myself. And if I was, to, if I was never to challenge that, then that would be the same message I'd be passing on to my kids. Oh, we've just got bad backs in the family. The reality is I didn't stretch it. I didn't strengthen it. And I had a weak back. And with a weak back comes pain. Had nothing to do with my ancestors. So we've got to be careful. Some stuff is genetic. Some stuff is spiritual. Some stuff is trauma and emotional. And some stuff is because we bring that curse upon ourselves, believing that stuff to be true. We want to deal with that. Some of us are like, well, I'm not like my parents. I'm not like my parents, Colin. I've broken off from my parents. I am not like them. I'd like to challenge that. Where did your accent come from? Did you ask for your accent? Very hard to let go. I lived in India for a number of years and I would take on an Indian accent because it's, you know, you don't hear your own accent. So if you speak to an Indian with an Indian accent, they can understand you better. But guess what happened at a, after a long day and I got tired? The Australian accent would just flow. There's, there's accents that is just evidence that we just accumulate stuff. I didn't realize how sarcastic Australians were until I lived overseas. You realize that a lot of people don't get our sarcasm? Not only that, our sarcasm in Australia is incredibly insulting. Like, it's brutally insulting. And I was challenged with you know, scripture says, don't let anything unwholesome come out of your mouth, but only what's useful for building up. I'm like, in Australia, what could we say? <laughs> Again, where does that come from? It comes from our ancestors and we think nothing of it. When I was in India, I was speaking to some um, students at, at college and we were talking about culture and the influence of culture. And I was trying to explain to them just how thick culture is and when we grow up in a family there's a family culture and how we're oblivious to it they said give us an example here in India because I was giving Australian examples of what I'd learned and I said sure I said in India your government doesn't trust you and they went what I said the government doesn't trust you I said for example in India it's illegal to have an ultrasound to determine the gender of your baby because if it's a female highly likely that they'll abort. And so it's illegal. I said, see, the government doesn't trust you. That's how thick the culture is. They didn't even realize that. They just accepted, oh, it's an illegal practice. Why? Because the culture is so strong and so subtle. And unfortunately, that's the same when it comes to generational sin. We're so thick in it, we don't even realize what is happening. So that's the first thing. You are a lot more like your parents than you think you are. 
But the second thing is, it's kind of same, same, but different. Often we go, I'm not going to be like them. My parents were controlling it. They would smack us and, and they would make us do what we need to do. I'm not going to be like them. Instead, I'm going to be passive aggressive. <laughs> so I've changed the behavior, but that underlying heart attitude of control is exactly the same. We change on the outside, but on the inside, nothing's changed. And what are we passing on to our kids? We're passing on control. So we often get people who are, you know, if you want your kids to be an alcoholic, become an alcoholic. I don't suggest that. Just stating the obvious. So if your parents are alcoholics and you're like, well, I'm not going to become an alcoholic. Well, if we don't deal with the addiction nature of it, people end up workaholics or they get into some other forms of addiction but I'm not an alcoholic, my parents were. It's not just change of behavior that we're after. We're looking for a break from the iniquity. The nature of sin is what we're wanting to break. Out of our hearts, we're wanting love to flow. It's not enough to change our behavior if the sin continues to lurk there and stay in our lives. We want to break it. So we may, we may end up continuing to be like them and just looking different. We're often a lot more like our ancestors than we think. The answer though is to, and, and well, the third thing I'd say is to not be like them is not to be unlike them. And what I mean by it is this, kind of grow up, you're like, oh, I'm not going to be like my parents, I'm going to be different. And then you have kids of your own, right? I'm not going to do what my parents did. But then crunch time comes. And when crunch times comes, what do you do? Well, unless you have an alternative to what your parents did, you're going to do exactly the same thing. I grew up in a family where there were four boys. And, and what that meant was if you didn't raise your voice, you weren't serious about what you were saying. You had to have a bit of oomph in your belief. It wasn't enough to believe you were right. You had to defend it passionately. Which being boys often resulted in fights. Nevertheless, right, nevertheless, when I got married, I'm like, how do you resolve arguments? Well, you know, I don't want to you know, raise my voice because that's not good. But when you're angry and frustrated, what's the alternative? I didn't have an answer back then. And so... I would raise my voice, of which Carolyn did not like. Fair enough. But what's the alternative? And sometimes we're so desperate not to be like our parents, but we've never sought out what the alternative. And as Christians, that answer is be like Jesus. Jesus says, come to me. I will teach you how to live in my kingdom. I will teach you how to behave. I'll help you change your attitudes and beliefs. I'll, I'll work to change who you are on the inside so that you get to become a person of love, a person of joy and peace and gentleness and self-control. And so it's not enough to go, I'm not going to be like them unless we have a vision of who we want to be like. And that person is Jesus. So the goal here of being free is being free to be like Jesus. 
That's ultimately the goal here of taking all that baggage in our life and dealing with it is to be like Jesus. There's a tool that I want to quickly go through that helps us to do that called a genogram. If you've never done one of these, it's really simple. I want to quickly go through it. The first thing is take a piece of paper. Those who have done this before and those who are counsellors are like, yeah, of course you do a genogram. So you just draw a picture. There's me. Everyone has parents except Adam and Eve. Other than that, everyone comes from somebody. So you draw you, put in your parents, and then you kind of go back and begin to fill it in. So we go to the next slide. And then we have, that's my family, my immediate family. So there's my mom, my dad, my older brother, Jim, my twin, Chris, me, and my younger brother, Gary. That's kind of my immediate family. And then you blow that up. If you want, you go back a generation. Now, this isn't my family tree. This is just a bunch of people, grandparents, fathers, uncle, aunts, cousins, sister-in-law, brother-in-law. You kind of fill out your tree. And you want to go back three, if you can, four generations. Get a big picture view of what's going on. And then you begin to ask yourself some questions. And so here's the next one. And say, for example, I've got conflict with my brother. Just draw a red squiggly line. I don't have conflict with my brother. He's cool. Illustrative purposes. Then you might go, oh, my, my mother and my wife have problems. Draw that. They don't. They get on just fine. It's illustrative purposes. Um, and then you might put crosses next to the, oh, these are all the alcoholics in my family. To my knowledge, my brother is not an alcoholic. <laughs> illustrative purposes. But, you know, and there's a green line, you know, say between my uncle and me, it's like, oh, I'm close to my uncle. You know, like that's a good relationship. Use this tool how you would want. Add some details to it that begin to help explain to you and to help you understand what's going on so you can look for you can look for the patterns that are there some people are great at seeing patterns some people aren't but here are some questions you can ask who are the key members in the family who are the ones that really influence the, the family what are the patterns and behaviors and the attitudes that i see repeated across the generations are there any family secrets or unspoken issues that when I look at the family tree, I go, you know what, there's, there's a history of this. How the different family relationships affected you? If, for example, you look at that and you go, you know what, I've got a relationship with one uncle, but I've got like 15 of these uncle and aunts. How come I've only got relationship with one uncle? What is it about him that speaks to my heart? What, what is it that I'm identifying with him? And what is it that I'm not identifying with the others? Ask yourself questions. Be curious. If you're looking at cultural um, influence or ethnic influence, how has that shaped your family and shaped you? Carolyn comes from an Indian background. That makes for a wide cultural expanse for our kids. What does that mean for them? Are there any significant events or changes in your family when you look through that that has affected its structure? One of the things that when we look at generationally as a culture, we know the effects of World War II on our grandparents is very different to what our parents went through and very different to what we're going through. So what was happening at that time that affected 
their views on life. An interesting question is where I am in the cycle. You know, there's the Chinese proverb, you can only keep wealth in the, in the, you can only keep wealth in the family for three generations. So, you know, the first generation makes it, second generation holds on to it, third generation spends it. If you're lucky, it pushes out to the fourth. But where, where am I at in that cycle? For me, with my hands, we're at generation one. I look at my kids and my niece and nephews, and it's like, hey, we're up to generation two. We're not really going to know until we're up to the grandchildren or great-grandchildren to know what the actual impact is. But where are we at in the cycle of things? This is a tool to help us to begin to look at what is the baggage that is in our lives that's lurking in the shadows that can help us to understand. One of the things for me is I come from a background, a family of non-Christians. And so when it comes to believing God and trusting God, that's a new thing. It's a new thing in my life to have a perspective of Jesus is my Lord. Living independent of Christ is part of my upbringing, part of my heritage. Now, my parents did become Christians, and that had a profound impact. Growing up, we weren't allowed to talk about religion at all. Now it's just a natural part of our life and our conversation. But there's still times in my life where I'm like, okay, I, I, can, I can hear that voice of doubt and that, that voice of not following Christ. And I recognize that's part of my heritage and upbringing. So what can we do about it? One, having an understanding of our background means that when we're coming before the Lord and we're having a time of confession, when we're wrestling with a sin, we're not just aware of what we're doing, but we're also conscious of our family background. And we can begin to have a broader perspective of what's the influence in my life. There are some things that if it's me, this is my sin and what I'm doing, well then, then it, it, it's kind of, to me, it's my behavioral change, it's my attitude change. But if this is a cultural thing, if this is a generational thing, it's much harder to break because I'm not even conscious. The sin lurks in the shadows. I'm not conscious of how I'm contributing to it or what I'm doing to it because it's there in the shadows. So it's often more difficult to get rid of. So when we're able to take an issue that we're struggling with and we begin to expand it out to our family and begin to look at the generational impact, that often we can begin to see, oh, okay, there are things here that I don't get. For example, I remember running, um, I was running up this hill on this one occasion. I was listening to um, a song um, and the, the lyrics was, why is life, uh, sorry, why um, is life so hard and I'm soft in the middle, right? Can't quite remember the, the lyric, but why is life so hard, soft in the middle? And as I'm running up, I could feel my stomach bubbling up and down. And I'm like, I finally understand that lyric. I find, I'm soft in the middle. Life's really hard. I was going through a particularly difficult phase in my life. As I'm running up this hill, my stomach's bobbing up and down. And I was several kilos overweight. And I'm like, I, I get that. I'm soft in the middle. Life's hard. 
And at that point, I asked myself, hmm, my parents at that stage were overweight. My brothers were overweight. And I'm like, I don't know how to be healthy. I don't come from a family where that was a priority. And I'm going, I actually don't know how to be healthy. It's actually not on my radar. Now, intellectually, if you asked me, I could go off all the, you know, do this, do that. You know, we often think knowledge is the answer. But I wasn't stuck because I didn't know. I was stuck because I didn't know. I didn't know how to be a healthy person. I didn't know how to be a person that could look after my health. Cognitively, I knew, but I didn't know in the core of my being. And that was going to require more than just a knowledge or a better understanding of health. So what can we do? James 4, 7 to 8, I reckon is a beautiful summary of how we can begin to deal with sin in our life and bringing the, the generational into it. These are the verses, two verses. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. So we submit to God. The promise is that God will draw near to us. That's the promise. God will draw near to you. We resist the devil. The promise is he will flee from you. Two things we can do in terms of submission. One, confession of our history. Confession is part of submitting. The kind of two things we want to do when it comes to submitting to God. The first is confession. Confession just means I agree with God. That's all it means. I agree with God. When we agree, when we confess that Jesus is the Christ, we're agreeing that God believes Jesus is the Christ. When I confess that adultery is wrong, I'm agreeing with God that adultery is wrong. When I confess an attitude of theft, I'm agreeing with God that that attitude is wrong. Confession is saying, God, I believe that this is wrong. That means that as we confess, we're aligning ourselves to God's truth. We're submitting to God. We're submitting to the Lordship of God. And then there's forgiveness. Submission to God is also placing ourselves in a position to receive forgiveness from God that we're submitting to the Lordship of God, that means we're going to align ourselves to Him. He is right, and we're going to therefore receive forgiveness from Him. Healing is crucial to receiving forgiveness. If we don't receive the forgiveness of God, and this comes down to accepting the Lordship of God, if He is Lord, He's right. And when he says that we're forgiven, we are forgiven. Because often the hardest part is forgiving ourselves and forgiving others for the sins that they've given us. And if we don't come under the Lordship of Christ, forgiving others and forgiving ourselves becomes really hard. And the way that we enter into that ability to forgive others is receiving forgiveness from God. See, if I can't receive the forgiveness from God, if I can't submit to God being right and entering into that, that state of being forgiven, 
then I can't forgive you. Because if I can't forgive myself of that sin, how am I supposed to forgive you of that sin? But the opposite is also true. If I cannot forgive my ancestors for their sin, how do I receive forgiveness for the same sin? And we end up with this circle of what is going to break that cycle of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness keeps us trapped, keeps other people trapped. And it's the beginning of you are Lord. You are right, and I'm going to align myself with your truth and accept your truth, and I'm going to live by that truth. And when I do that, part of that is I'm going to receive your forgiveness, and I'm going to forgive others. The second thing we do is resist the devil. We renounce the influence the devil has had on us. We renounce the influence that he has had on our life through direct influence, through demonic influence, through cultural influence. We renounce it. We resist the devil's influence on our life. And then we draw near to God. There is the throne of grace. We draw to that. We receive the grace of God. We don't stay back out of relationship with God through Christ. We draw near to Him. We allow that union with God to be reestablished, that friendship with God to be reestablished. We don't keep God at a distance. We draw near to Him. And the promise is that as we do that, He will draw near to us. God is waiting to get closer and closer to us. But then James says, cleanse your hands, change your behaviours. Cleanse your hands, change your behaviours, change the way you do stuff. But he also says, purify your hearts. There's one thing to change our behaviour, there's another to change our hearts. Let me give an example in terms of my own life. So part of my family heritage is a dislike for government. And therefore, um, with the dislike for government, I'm not saying I have that now, just in case this is being watched. Um, so hypothetically, 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 let's say there was um, some uh, stealing, we'll call it stealing, um, towards the government. Again, hypothetically. Um, changing that behaviour would be good. Government would like that. Uh, but more than that is, is there a heart change? Is there a heart change? In Paul, he says, you know, the, the, the person who's not, or the, you know, the thief should stop stealing, good step, but then they should become generous. It's not enough to go, I'm not going to steal that. It's do I have a heart that is the opposite of that, that's kind of renouncing the devil, resisting the devil. I'm just not going to, I'm just going to clean my hands and no longer steal which is a good thing, but I'm going to change my heart through submission to Christ, through the Lordship, through discipleship to Jesus. I want to change what's happening here. And so this is what it might look like in terms of confessing our sins. So kind of, Christy went through this with our beliefs last week. Listen to that sermon if you missed it. Excellent sermon on dealing with our beliefs. What we're doing with generational sin is allowing 
not only to, to confess our sins, but also standing in that gap for what's happening with our ancestors. I confess the sins of my ancestors and my parents, of my own sin, the sin of stealing, using this as an example. I choose to forgive and release my ancestors for stealing, as well as others who've influenced me for these sins, for the consequences in my life. If you can be specific, be specific about that. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for these sins, for yielding to them, and I receive your forgiveness. Based on your forgiveness, Lord, I choose to forgive myself for my part in these sins, and I choose to forgive my ancestors. I renounce the sin of stealing. I break these powers from my life and from the lives of my descendants through the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. I receive God's freedom from this sin and I receive your abundant grace. Ultimately, when we're cleaning house and we're cleaning through the baggage of our life, it comes back to where there is sin, grace abounds. We don't have to run from the sin in our lives or feel the shame. God wants to redeem that. He wants to transform that into grace. The beautiful message of the cross is regardless of how messed up your family has been, regardless of how messed up your life is, grace abounds. Let me finish with this one point, that sometimes we get stuck in our baggage. And when it comes to generational sin, often it is bigger than what we can handle. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. When we confess our sins to God, when we deal with God with the baggage in our life, He forgives us, He cleanses us, He purifies us. But that is not always enough to break the mess that's there. In James 5, 17, James says, Confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. God never withholds forgiveness from us when we confess, but often the sin continues to hassle us from the shadows of our life. There are blind spots in our life, and often it is hard for us to get completely clean until we begin to confess it. Sometimes we need to sit down and say, this is my family tree. I'm missing something here. And have someone else help draw that out from us. Sometimes we're stuck in sin, and it's not until we bring it into the light and have another brother or sister in Christ sit with us in that space and to be able to help us to work through that. God ultimately is about restoring relationship and being in relationship. Sin breaks that. And while we can confess to God, by God's design, it is confession to others that brings healing. So generational sin, not all of the baggage in our life is ours. By standing in that gap, both in our own lives, but also looking back on that generational influence through Christ, through the Lordship of Christ, we can break free. If we're struggling to break free, maybe it's time to bring in someone else to help us to be able to do that. Let's pray. 
before I pray, if, if like me, you come from a background where you've not surrendered to Christ, where that is a new experience for you, to not just see Jesus as a historical figure, but to acknowledge that He is Lord and to place yourself under His Lordship, which opens the doorway for you to enter His kingdom. And when we enter His kingdom, we call that salvation. Where all of the righteousness of Christ is passed onto us. Because He is Lord. Because He took our sin upon the cross. And as we confess that we cannot be restored to the Father unless we come through the Son. If you'd like to make that statement this morning, just to ask you to, to raise your hand. We want to do that so we can partner with you, help you to grow. Let's pray. Jesus, I give you thanks that as Lord, you took our sin upon the cross. Not just our sin, but also the sin of our ancestors. And you help us to be free, to walk in that freedom. We confess before you this morning that our hearts are not always aligned with you. Our hearts are not always filled with love. And some of that is because of our choices. Some of it is generational influence. We submit that before you this morning. We renounce the influence of the devil. We draw close to you. We want to be like you, a person of love, a person of grace, a person that when persecuted, when hung to a cross, prays for their forgiveness. So Father, help us to be like your Son in the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.